here we go. You are listening to Wednesday's Bible study. And what do we do on Wednesdays? We're taking a look at Law and Gospel by C.F.W. Walther. And today, of course, is August the 5th in the year of our Lord, 2020. And we're going to be taking a look at the 16th evening lecture that C.F.W. Walther gave to seminarians on January the 30th, 1885. He did this for about a year, and he has 25 theses. Uh, This one is thesis number nine. And the reason we're not doing Wednesdays on the basis of those is because he has seven evening lectures just on this one thesis. Very, very important. And he always kind of begins with the main point that he wants to make. And in this particular situation, he doesn't speak so much against the Roman position, uh, Roman Catholic, the papacy, but the Reformed position. uh, That was uh, Calvin and today the Presbyterians, the Baptists, the Methodists, and so forth. He begins by saying, No doctrine is more offensive to them than the doctrine of the grace of God, the forgiveness of sins, righteousness in the sight of God, and that eternal salvation is obtained only by believers who put their confidence in the written word, in baptism, in the Lord's Supper, and in absolution. Now, what is he talking about? There is a concept that is found throughout the Lutheran confessions about the means of grace. Now, what does that mean? Well, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He earned for you by his blood and suffering not only the forgiveness of sins, but his righteousness that gets applied to you. Now, what is the means that God uses to transfer the benefits of what Christ has done for you on the cross to you? For example, if I'm taking my kids to a restaurant, let's say McDonald's, and when we get there, I don't owe, I don't order any food. And they're looking at me and saying, I thought we came to the restaurant to eat. And I say to them, no, we just want you in your heart to think about eating. And then I'll save a lot of money. You see how ridiculous that sounds? But that would be my analogy. Well, what? Walther is talking about about many of the Reformed. They say, this is a quote, What are the benefits of baptizing with earthly water? True baptism is baptizing with the Spirit and fire. What are the benefits of eating and drinking the natural body and blood of Christ? No, they say, the food and drink that still the hunger and thirst of the soul 
is the truth that came down from heaven. Finally, they say, how can a mortal sinful man who cannot look into my heart help me by saying your sins are forgiven? No, they say my sins are forgiven only when God himself speaks these words into my heart and makes me feel their force. This is really an important distinction between Lutheran theology and much of the Reformed. He says, does this view agree with Scripture, what the Reformed says? No, not at all. He then goes and says, baptism is not a mere washing with earthly water. Rather, the Spirit of God, or more precisely, Jesus, with his blood, connects baptism to cleanse people of their sins. And then he's got Bible verses. For example, Acts twenty-two sixteen, Ananias says to Paul, Rise and be baptized, and wash away your sins. Or Jesus says to Nicodemus, John 3, truly I, treat, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Paul, in Galatians 3, 27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And then to Titus chapter 3, God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The fact is, the, earth, the Lord's Supper is not an earthly feast, but a heavenly feast on earth, in which, under the bread and the wine, the body and blood of Christ, are given to us with the benefits of that body that was crucified for us, that blood that was shed for us. So when you receive the body and blood of redemption in this Holy Supper, at the same time you're receiving what has been acquired on the cross by this sacrifice. That's why we call it a sacrament, baptism in the Lord's Supper. It's a holy way, it's a holy means by which God transfers the benefits of what Jesus did on the cross to us. The Reformed don't believe that any external sign can transfer any benefits. No, you must feel in your heart that you are forgiven. In fact, the absolution, if you listen to a Lutheran service, first of all, it isn't based upon the ordination of the pastor. He doesn't say, upon my ordination, I say to you. He says, no, upon this, your confession. So did you do a proper confession to God? Are you truly contrite? over your sins, the absolution is pronounced 
by a poor, sinful preacher. But it's not his absolution. It's the absolution of Jesus Christ himself. In fact, in our absolution, we talk about by his authority. And it reminds us of John chapter 20, where Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That's really important. Remember, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, why would a pastor ever withhold forgiveness? Because the person is living in mortal sin. Because it is unrepentant sin. And in fact, there's a right called excommunication that works on the basis of this. So, Walter asks, what is the true reason for the Reformed view? And his answer is, they do not understand, they don't grasp how a person can come into possession of divine grace, the forgiveness of sin, righteousness in the sight of God, and eternal salvation through an outward means. They point to another way. You see, the Reformed Mingle Law and Gospel, it's a common practice among them. And what it boils down to is this. Instead of pointing people to the Word and the sacraments, the Reformed instruct alarmed sinners to struggle their way into a state of grace by prayer and inward wrestling until they feel grace living within themselves. Now, the way they do it, it sounds kind of godly, the words that they're using. And Walter says an inexperienced person can easily be deceived by it. Uh, let me read to you again Thesis 9 uh, on the basis of these seven evening lectures. You are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel and the word of God if you point sinners who have been struck down and terrified by the law toward their own prayers and struggles with God and tell them that they have to work their way into a state of grace. That is, do not tell them to keep on praying and struggling until they would feel that God has received them into grace. Rather, point them toward the Word and the sacraments. So, for the reform, you have to have a certain feeling uh, not because I performed any good works, not because I become a better person. No, that would all be on the basis of sinking sand. Now, C.F.W. Walter says, I'm not presenting my personal opinions about the doctrine of this. Let's hear what the confession of our church says about this matter. But first of all, he points to a man named Zwingli, and he lived at the time of Luther. And C.F.W. Walter, he represents him as the grandfather of all Reformed churches. It was Zwingli that laid the foundation 
for the Reformed Church. It was Calvin who polished the clumsy work of Zwingli, according to C.F.W. Walther. And through Calvin's workmanship, he was able to persuade the English and the French to his side, though he accomplished little among the German people. But the doctrine of Zwingli is the source from which all false teachings of the Reformed Church have sprung. And so what does he say about the relationship, Walther asks, of the means of grace to faith? Well, what's really interesting in that in 1530, the Zwinglians wanted to participate in the Augsburg Confession. But because of their false teaching, the Lutherans denied them fellowship. So what does Zwingli do? He wrote his Augsburg Confession, even sent it to the emperor. And what happened? He endorsed the very opposite doctrine that he had confessed in 1529 at the Marburg Colloquy. For example, here's what he said in 1529. Theologians have agreed that the Holy Spirit gives faith to no one except through previous preaching and by and with the word creates and works faith, how, where, and in whom he pleases. And in the ninth place, that holy baptism is a sacrament by which man is regenerated. In fact, with tears in his eyes, Zwingli stood before Luther offering his hand and asking for brotherly fellowship because he had declared by the spoken word of God faith is produced in people by baptism a person is regenerated see that's what Zwingli confessed in 1529 but half a year later he denied all of this In fact, in his denial, he wrote, I believe and know that all sacraments, far from conferring grace, do not even offer or present it. He continues, when he wrote to the emperor about his most powerful emperor, it may appear to you that I am speaking too freely. Grace is worth and given by the Holy Spirit, and therefore this gift must be attributed to the Holy Spirit. What Zwingli is saying is this, according to C.F.W. Walther, preaching baptism and the Lord's Supper, these are useless. They are empty symbols. Uh, Remember, Calvin believed that when you take the Lord's Supper, you're not really receiving the body and blood of Christ. Because the body and blood of Christ are up in heaven. He is ascended. So it's just kind of a metaphor for the body and blood. And therefore, your faith that you have in your heart that Jesus is in heaven is the positive positive attribute to the Lord's Supper, but not the referring and the receiving 
of his true body and blood. How did this all occur? Well, there was a Renaissance revival of Cicero's writings. Cicero wasn't even a Christian. But the papacy used them in other writings to support the claim that the Pope controls the means of grace and determines the meaning of Scripture because Scripture is said to be basically unclear. In fact, we had a pretty important individual in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, become Roman Catholic on the basis of this. He explained that in the Roman Catholic Church, that's the only place you can find out what the Bible really means. So, Zwingli came up following Cicero's writings that working through a means and external means like baptism and the Lord's Supper cannot result in the clarity that the Holy Spirit gives in the heart of the elect. Luther alone based the means of grace on the clarity of Scripture, and therefore that's the true biblical doctrine. Uh, The whole Bible, C.F.W. Walfler says, is full of testimonies to the fact that the Word and the sacraments actually convey the Holy Spirit. In Acts 10.44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who what? Who heard the Word. That's really important to understand hearing the word of God. According to Zwingli's teachings, baptism is worthless because the Holy Spirit does not require a vehicle for conveying salvation. But God did. God talks about baptism and the Lord's Supper. Zwingli writes, Accordingly, baptism does not confer grace. Rather, it testifies to the church that the person receiving it has already obtained grace. So, in Reformed churches, they baptize those who have already come to faith. That's why they do not baptize infants. In fact, they would look at baptism the way we look at confirmation. In confirmation, a young person is talked about what the Word of God says. And then, when they are convinced and believe the Word of God, they are confirmed. This is part of our confessions, Walther says. There's a small called articles and reads... God does not want to deal with us in any other way than through the spoken word and the sacraments. Whatever is praised as from the Spirit without the word and sacraments is the devil himself. So, what Lutheran theology teaches is the true Spirit is obtained only through the word of God. Isn't that what Jesus says? How do we make disciples of all nations? Do we tell them to wrestle and give prayers that you see on television 
inviting Christ into their heart. Why would an unbeliever invite Christ into his heart? He's an unbeliever. No. Romans 1.16, Paul says, The gospel is the power of God for everyone who believes. And listen to Romans 10.17. Faith comes by hearing. Therefore, it follows that faith justifies when a person hears the word of God and the Holy Spirit grants them faith. Whatever is true for the word of God is, of course, also true for the sacraments. They are the means of grace. And we pick up from Augustine, Walther says, where they're referred to as the visible word. The impact of the word and of the sacraments are the same. A sacrament is a visible word, Augustine says, because it is received by the eyes. It is a picture of the word, meaning the same thing happens as when the word is heard. The impact of both is the same. C.F.W. Walther quotes Luther on Isaiah chapter 20, verse 2. Since the word never returns empty, the signs cannot be without a result either. Thus, baptism and the Lord's Supper are signs which raise up and strengthen our faith. That's really, really important. Therefore, the church does not teach that just by hearing the word of God or immersing a person in water, that that leads to faith and the obtaining of grace, because that would be a work we would do. Instead, baptism without faith is useless, even if the act were repeated ten times a day. Communing without faith would not benefit us, even if we received the sacrament daily. The doctrine of the church is that the word and the sacraments operate in such a manner as to raise us up in faith and prompt us to lay hold of the blessings that are offered us. That is why we practice close communion, that only those of faith receive the benefits of the Lord's Supper. Very, very important. Now, this sermon by Luther was preached in 1529, and that's when Zwingli agreed with him until 1530, when he changed his mind. Uh, today, Walther points to the Anabaptists. They declare that baptism is worthless, and he calls them in German Schwärmer or enthusiasts. They created a rift in the church on account of baptism because they claim that baptism is useless. They say it is only a mere act of obedience that a believer does, not as a means of grace. And they remove the element of grace from baptism. So if the grace of Christ has been removed from baptism, Walter says, nothing is left 
except a pure work. Luther talks about every heresy that has sprung up was caused by the inability of the heretics to believe that man becomes righteous in the sight of God and is saved by grace alone. And that comes through an external path. In fact, they confess Christ crucified who died for us and saved us, but they renounce the means by which we obtain him. They demolish the bridge and path leading to Christ. And that bridge and path to Christ, where the cross's benefits are brought to you, is through baptism and the Lord's Supper. So God never meant, Walther says, to set up his worship in this world without external means. And that's why we preach the Word of God and we baptize and provide the Lord's Supper. And next week, in the 17th evening lecture, we'll continue this thought. Uh, but tomorrow on Law and Gospel, we're going to be looking at worship nightmares once more with Wes Reimnitz. I'm Tom Baker. Be with us tomorrow. Till then, God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.